months into the IMF program, and already it appears government finds it itself between the rock and the place. It's in a dilemma over whether to satisfy its agreement with the IMF or yield to wishes of Ghanaians. Now, so far, it has come under intense pressure to withdraw the 15% VAT on electricity, the emissions levy, and others that it promised the IMF in order to secure the $3 billion bailout. Surely, we would be analyzing this uh, with an economist. Right now, though, let's take a look at the 12 new taxes billed to come into force this year as part of revenue measures promised by government to the IMF. Uh, now, if, if you look at it there, uh, uh, Kofi AJ is uh, lead data analyst here at John News, and he joins me in studio with Samuel Kofi. So, yeah. what are we looking at? 12 new, what are they? 12 new tax reforms. Mm. So, not maybe not necessarily new, new taxes, taxes, okay? But yeah, tax reforms. Mm. In there, you find new taxes mm. like the you know, uh, pollution levy that mm. we are charging, the, mm. the one that's Drivers will be paying some hundred cities yeah. at the end of every year. We mm. also have the taxes. Let's rather say car owners. Will exactly, be paying, so. car owners, you, the emission levy. Mm. And then also there's uh, taxes on plastic and packaging. All mm. of this will be introduced. Mm. Some of them have already in force or the reforms have already started. Mm. So we actually are looking at government commitment in terms of the fiscal policies or fiscal measures that it's supposed to take in 2024. And just like Professor Bokpino always say, when you are looking at fiscal measures, mm -hmm. it's always two things. It's either you cut down on expenditure mm -hmm. or you find ways and means to generate more revenue. And it looks as if government's way of generating more revenue in 2024 is tax reforms and introduction of new taxes. Okay. So we took our time to look at the IMF program proper. Mm -hmm. And we found out that uh, in 2024, which is this year, there will be 12 new 12 tax reforms in addition to new taxes, mm. which the government is hoping to rake in some $12 billion mm. if all of these reforms mm. fall into place so that, that, successfully. So you're saying that the 12, are they including or adding on to new tax reforms? So these are new tax reforms. Okay. I mean, let me, one is the removal of VAT exemption on some selected products. Okay. So let's start with the direct taxes mm -hmm. because you can actually see these categories in threefold. So mm -hmm. you have the direct taxes, indirect taxes, and then we have the administrative measures. Okay. All of these three categories are taxes, and they are supposed to help um, you know, generate that $12 billion that we are talking about. So on the screen right now uh, is the direct taxes mm -hmm. that we are hoping, the reform. So we are hoping to revise and expand the taxes on gambling revenue. You oh. heard of this? This was uh, last year. It's not last year. It, okay, this was introduced last mm. year. Mm -hmm. The first phase was, mm -hmm. was introduced last year that we're expecting to get some 1.4 billion Ghana cities. Now, the new phase will be to expand it yeah. and include g other games of chance like lottery. Okay. So that will help government to gain more. That's why we say there are tax reforms. Okay. So it's already in place, but government is expanding the net to bring in other stakeholders like the lotteries. Mm. So Which that means one, that if someone wins a lotto, mm -hmm. he or she has to pay a tax exactly. on that if, 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 it's, 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 if it's implemented okay. in 20 mm. this year. Okay. And if we're able to do that, we are hoping to get half a billion Ghana cities from mm. that place. 500 million, 500 cities. million cities. If mm. we add it to what we already projected in 2023, then we are talking about some 2 billion just from the 
you know, gambling and games of chance, revenue mm. from that place. Mm. Then we also have expansion of entities subject to, uh, you know, communication tax, service tax. So there should be some review there in terms of expanding the entity subject to the communication tax. Mm. Government is and spacing that when they're able to do this, another half a billion Ghana cities, 500 million Ghana cities will be added to the revenue kitty. Okay. Then we also have increase of stamp duty. This is very, very important. Mm. Stamp duty. We are also hoping to rake in um, some additional 500 million. Then uh, tax on, uh, we have the, um, how do you call it? Mm. Uh, income income levy. I think mm -hmm. that's the, the increase. Introduction of simplified mechanisms uh, for modified tax schemes for smaller taxpayers. Okay. That one as well, if you look at it, uh, some $427 million. In total, direct taxes alone is about 1.5 billion cities. That is the reforms that we are trying to create with the IMF. Mm -hmm. Then if you go to the indirect taxes, that is where you find the VAT there. Okay. Now, VAT is so important that we believe that with the removal of VAT exemptions on selected goods, we'll be able to gain some 4.4 billion Ghana cities this year. That's about 0.52% of GDP. So okay. that's 4.4 billion um, you know, cities if you use the current GDP. 4.4 billion cities is huge. Mm. There are other tax reforms, but in total, if we're able to do all of this plus the administrative measures... We are talking about more than 12 billion Ghana cities. That's huge. And, and that's huge because, I mean, the reason why government cannot take a unilateral decision on the VAT exemption mm. is because that's 4.4 billion. It's more than what you anticipate E-Levy will bring you in 2024. Mm. Now, VAT is so important that in 2024 this year, the total VAT taxes is more than 30 billion Ghana cities. And the component of tax... So, so revenue that VAT will bring you. Mm -hmm. Totality. Totality is more than 30 billion. More than 30 billion this year. Wow. That's um, an up, you know, a, a revised, actually revised upwards from the, I think, 27 or 23 billion cities mm. we anticipated we're going to get in 2022. Mm. So, 2023, for instance. So if you look at it, that's, that's a big component of revenue coming in this year. Mm. Now, another important thing is that government is going so heavy on taxes in 2024, so much that tax revenues alone is more than 80% of the total revenue and expected to, to come into the revenue kitty in 2024. That is why they cannot joke with the VAT exemptions because mm. they anticipate that that will add a lot to the revenue kitty. A whole IMF diagnostic team mm. were in Ghana to do this analysis. And they realize that as a country, we lose about 2% of our GDP as a result of exemptions, VAT mm -hmm. exemptions we place on certain goods. Okay. And if we quantify that in total, that should be about 17 billion dollars. Mm -hmm. so, so it means that if, if government should decide to say that we're going to remove its tax VAT exemptions on some, you know, to, to some entities, mm. And also do away with the 15% VAT on electricity consumption. The mm -hmm. people are agitating because of that. Yeah. Now, if government decides to then remove the exemptions, can government afford to also take away the VAT, 15% VAT on, on, on consumption? It will be difficult. I mean, because this type of VAT we are planning to um, place on electricity mm -hmm. is the one that comes with three additional taxes. People are not really paying attention okay. to that. Okay. The, the VAT we are hoping to place on power will come with 
we charging additional three taxes, including get fund levy of 2.5%. We have the NHIL 2.5%. Then COVID-19 recovery levy of 1%. Mm. So if you buy power, let's say 50 CDs, all these three taxes will be applied. Okay. Then the sum that you get, you add it to the original price, which is the 50 CDs, before you now charge VAT. Oh. So that is how important it is. I mean, because if you look at it, it's just 0.52% of GDP. Mm. And if you compute, that's more than 4 billion Ghana cities. Mm. It's so huge that it will be, I mean, it will be difficult for government to do away with. If indeed they are going to engage the IMF to actually put this on hold, then they must go to the fund with an alternative, mm. which I currently I don't know. Well, but, but in, in total, you're looking at around 40 billion, right? Mm -hmm. If all of that is done. Um, 30 the, billion. The, the VAT. I mean, yes, in all of the taxes and reforms that are coming. You just That's mentioned 12 it. billion. 12 billion. Some 12 billion. No, and then the, out of the 12 billion, we have the VAT on electricity, which is bringing in, you mentioned 4, 4 point something billion. Yeah, 4.4. Right? 4. Yeah. Good. If you take 4.5 of 12, you're looking at around 7 point something billion. Mm -hmm. Won't it be enough for you to then give some respite to your citizens? Kojo, it won't be enough. It won't be enough in terms of the revenue projection because mm -hmm. as a country in 2024 this year, the difference between our expenditure and our income is, mm -hmm. a, is more than $60 billion. If you look at the you know, right amount, not the cash level or whatever, the commitment basis, and if you add all the amortization and things we are hoping to pay, we are, we've crossed $60 billion. That's mm -hmm. about $6 billion. Um, you know, dollars. dollars. And how are you going to fund that? Right now, you do not have a bonds market that you can go and borrow. The only market available to you is a T-bill market, which right now you are reducing the rates so it becomes less attractive for people to bring in their investment. Government is already borrowing so much from that market and there's risks attached. Now, if you look at it, aside from treasury bills, where else do you get the money from? There's no other place. And then IMF is the one giving you World Bank and other places supporting you. Bank of Ghana has also been warned to do 0% financing. So the only way to close that fiscal gap is to introduce some of these tax measures. Mm -hmm. But you need to look at it too on a different side where you can cut down on expenditure. Okay. Because if you're able to cut down on expenditure about $4.4 billion, then it means that you can decide that, okay, Ghanaians can have that relief. Once you are not able to, you are not willing and able to do the expenditure cut, then I do not know where government is going to get 4.4 billion, mm. uh, you know, alternative from for Ghanaians to have this relief. Mm. Because we've already told the IMF, and let let me put it on record that these tax handles, it is not the IMF imposing them on us. It is our own program that we send to the fund. That mm. I mean. In, in our quest to raise more revenue, these are some of the things we want to do in 2024. Mm -hmm. So it's not an IMF imposed taxes. This is our own program. We prepared it. We did the estimates, estimation, and we said that this is how our economy is going to recover. All right, Kofi, do stay with me. Um, now Deputy Energy Minister Andrew Japar Mesa has confirmed rumors that Cabinet has ordered the Finance Minister to withdraw the VAT on electricity consumption demands of labor and the general public. Despite this, organized labor is lazing its boot to roll out series of actions aimed at forcing government to totally withdraw the 15% VAT on electricity consumption. They'll be meeting today in the Ashanti regional capital to strategize 
on a plan which they say will lead to a total shutdown of the economy once it set it in motion. Let's take you to the Central Region Capital, Kumase, where organized labor has been meeting today. Nana Bwachi Yadam joins us live from there with more. Nana, uh, what has been the plan so far by the regional TUC? TUC did meet today to strategize ahead of the February 13th protest. And this protest, according to the TUC, is to make sure that government does not implement the 15% VAT on electricity consumption. Well, a lot of things did come up today during the meeting and or during the engagement with members of the TUC and organized labor. Well, the concerns for members were taken with regards to the protest and the engagement with the Ghana Police Service head office in the Ashanti region was also considered. Route on, on the protest day and where asked where they should be going and where they should end the protest was also a major concern today when the union did meet at the regional TUC office in the Ashanti region. Mm. In the first place, the TUC spoke about the need for government to withdraw the 15% value-added tax on electricity consumption. Members did contribute to the need for government to withdraw this tax. Well, it looks as if it is not just going to be about the VAT on electricity consumption when you come to the Ashanti region, because members also did raise concern about the emission levy, which government is also seeking to implement. And also, they did strategize on their roots in the Ashanti region with regards to the 13th February protest. The concerns were with where the members or the, the union should be using in regards to this protest which is coming off on the February 13th. Well, they will pass through the principal streets of Kumase, not forgetting Kedjetia, the central business district of the Ashanti region, and also uh, pass through the Kumase Metropolitan Assembly. The union is also seeking to pass through the Ashanti Regional Coordinating Council where they would draw the curtains, where they are yet they would submit a petition to the Ashanti Regional Minister Simon Osei Mensa. And so today it has always it has all been about their strategy with regards to the February thirteenth mm-hmm. protest scheduled mm-hmm. by the um, Trade Union Congress in okay. the Ashanti region. Grace. Mm-hmm. What was the response of the Regional Police Command after their engagement? Well, the Regional Police Command was, was quite concerned about the numbers looking at the day, which is 13th February, being a working day. Um, it, it's a Tuesday, and so it was so much of a concern to the Regional Police Command um, looking at how the protest is going to uh, be carried out in the Ashanti region. Well, they did uh, ask the TUC put up strategies to ensure that the protest is as peaceful as it can be to make sure that um, nobody is affected and to also make sure that it does not really affect um, trading in Kumase, especially at the central business district. But then they did assure them of tight security on the 13th of February. Mm. Interesting. Uh, let's see how that goes. Uh, grateful to you, Nana Bwache Yadon, for joining us with that. Now, the position of organized labor is gaining massive support as Guta, and now several society groups sent Ghana are backing it. Now, let's speak to Deputy Country Director Dr. Emmanuel Aifa, who's joining us via Zoom. Now, grateful to you, Doc, for joining us here. Uh, I, I mean, it's quite interesting. I think this will be the first time that we're having, you know, a civil society like yourself send Ghana. 
joining organized labor to say let's protest against what government wants to do um I mean, government has explained that this is a way to raise revenue for us to get out of the situation we find ourselves. Why do you think it's, it's something that government should withdraw when government has told all of us that this is how we can find some respite and rescue the economy? Thank you very much, my brother, and good afternoon to your cherished viewers. And thank you for the opportunity. Yes, same Ghana, we stand in solidarity with organized labor. And not because we are not interested in any development uh, that the country wants to embark on with the limited the revenue that will be generated. It might interest you to know that since we have been advocating for the need to generate enough revenue to prosecute the, uh, the numerous development agenda of our country. And so we do not in any way would want to go uh, against anything that we think will help enhance the revenue capacity of our country. In any case, our GDP to revenue ratio is very small. And so if we need to rope in more revenue, it is important. However, our concern has to do with this specific uh, revenue measure, that is the VAT on electricity. Send as an organization that looks at the poor and marginal and the vulnerable. We think that slapping 15% on electricity is actually tantamount to uh, deepening the already worst situation mm. of almost every Ghanaian. And that is why we are adding our voice to this call. Okay. That no, yes, there are a lot of other avenues that government should can look at. My interest you to know that aside just this revenue, the 15%, you know that now, there's an arrangement for every quarter. There's an adjustment in electricity and water prices. I remember the last one was in, I think, September or so. So that is already going to, also going to happen. And when it happened already, you are putting 15% VAT on electricity. It's going to deepen the already worsening situation. And that is why we think that government need to look at other alternatives. For us, we always want to provide other alternatives. Yes, your colleague indicated we are having about 4.4 billion uh, out of this. That is the expectation. Yes, it is an IMF condition, but the IMF is not putting the gun on government to say that you should necessarily implement mm. the, the, the 15% uh, VAT on electricity. Mm. The other alternative, one alternative, we've been talking so much about the huge tax exemptions. It, it runs about 5 billion. Ghana cities of a year. It's estimated. If we have to try to reduce the excessive tax exemption, that is going to be an option. Mm. We've been talking about road tolls for God knows when. Ghanaians are not complaining about not wanting to pay road tolls. But up to now, the road toll implementation is not there. Although the amount that is projected to get from the road tolls previously wouldn't be as much. But we can look at certain efficiency means of collecting it, and that can also help us. And your colleagues also spoke about cutting down some um, excessive expenditure. Mm. I believe that we can also look at that. As for the other tax measures, send we, we are not opposed to that. Our opposition has to do with 15% on electricity. Mm. I mean, if you have even had to compare, look at, look at Spain. Look at uh, Belgium. There are information and data available there. 
That shows that Spain, as even advanced as they are, they reduced there to at the five percent, Belgium to six percent. Okay. And so I think that we have to. And probably the last for me to end. I believe that the fifteen percent has been in our books for quite some time now. You want to ask why is it that the previous government actually came up with it but they never implemented it? And this is the time that most Ghanaians are suffering. Mm. Uh, during the Kumbi Prekon era, I was, I was, I think, in secondary school or so. I remember the argument at the time was that it is not bad to, to implement VAT, but it, it wasn't timely. The time was not, was not good. And I believe that it hasn't changed. Considering the, 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 the challenges that we find ourselves now, I believe if the president is listening, the finance minister is listening, we should look back at the Kumbi Prekon days where we thought that it wasn't right to implement the, the entire value added tax. Now, we are not saying cancel mm. the VAT, but what we are saying is that it would not inure to the benefit of the poor and marginalized Ghanaians. But, 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 but you, made a, you make a point there that, I mean, we are in tough times. The yeah. government has looked at the thing and, 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 and it's saying that the way to get out of this tough time is for us to, you know, share the burden. And, and when it comes to sharing the burden, this is one of the ways. So if this is going to take us off the wood and bring us to the period where we would all enjoy it, why not embrace it? So, yes, we appreciate that we are in tough time. That is why I said that we do not oppose some of the other tax handles that we are looking at. You know, the point is that all these tough measures that uh, we are going through, it is to help the ordinary Ghanaian. I believe you wouldn't want to wait until all of us uh, die before you think that, yes, we are implementing measures to help us, and so that should be it. What we are saying is that, yes, it is important, but you do not depend the, the already bad situation that people find themselves in. Okay. This we are talking about livelihoods. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what we are talking about. Except, I think, made, made some good analysis that suggested that it is just about 5% out of the 30% life-like consumers who are not going to be affected. And so it is important that government looks at this. Mm. You do not, there are principles of, of, of flapping of taxation. And of course, you have to look at, the cost should not even be more than what you're going to, going to get. And cost is not just about uh, fiscally as you see it. If you are going to cost the livelihood of other people, I don't think that is what we have to look at. Yes, you can do a lot of, most of the other taxes that are, the game tax, I have no problem with it. Same, we don't have no problem with that. We have no problem with the other tax handle. But for electricity, if you are taxing 15%, mm. it is going to be dire for okay. most ordinary. In fact, not just, not just the ordinary Ghanaian. Most middle-level people, it's going to be difficult mm. as to pay. And more so now, even the life, the life does not even stay on regularly. <laughs> you are already taxing me, okay. and the light is also even on regular. Mm, so mm. people, we have to even look at alternative uh, sources. So okay. please, we want government to listen. And we don't really want to hear about the rumors. Minister for Finance will officially come and announce, okay. or the president will officially come and announce. It's, Thank you. Okay. Mm. Interesting. So everybody wants the, the finance minister or government itself to announce that they yes. have. Uh, do stay with me because there's much more coming in on that regard. Let's now engage tax expert Timori Boy, uh, who is also joining us via Zoom here. Timori, so you do understand that the, the taxation regime we do find ourselves. 
a lot of people, and I'm sure um, uh, you might also share in the thought, think that, well, this is, we're not in good time for it to be taxing. But with your own understanding, are we not, or uh, is the government wrong to be taxing us at this time when we want to get out of the woods? So for 26 years, this particular provision has not been implemented before. Mm. And so you wonder why we want to today start, I mean, from 1998 when we started having these provisions in our law. And even you can go back to 1994. Under 1994, we, the, the VAT law, which was scrapped by the Kumi Preco you know, demonstration, mm. we said that um, electricity is so essential that we need to tax it. So we, under that law, we didn't even tax it. But we came to 1998, and then we decided to tax it. But for 26 years, you've not implemented it. Why now? That's the question we have to answer. The second question is, from 98 to today, we have had the rates gone up so much. Mm. We have had so many indirect taxes in between. So the ordinary Ghanaian is going to be overburdened, and there's a limit we can go. Yes, we propose it to the IMF, but I think that Look, we can always go back and renegotiate. And mm. even if you look at the conditionality, I remember said we should look at medium to long term. He didn't say we should do everything at the same time. And I think that government should tread cautiously because you cannot stand the wrath of labor. Mm. Otherwise, we are going to bring the whole country into a standstill. And the damages we may have caused may not be, you know, we can't recover it. Mm. Mm. Now, now, you said you were asking the question, why now? Um, from your experience, aren't you able to tell us, or I mean, propose why the case that it is now, because of the, 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 the conditions that we do find ourselves? So, look, I think if we have delayed it for 26 years and mm-hmm. the country didn't collapse, I don't think we can, we, we, we need to rush. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm saying this because of the other taxes that we have introduced. You look at um, E-Levy has come in, the emission levy has come in, a number of taxes are already in the system. Mm. Don't forget that industry is even paying for it now. And if industry pays for the VAT, they pass it on to the consumer. So indirectly, whatever you buy, you have some form of element of the input that the industry people are paying. So the question is, if IMF says that we need to increase our domestic tax revenue, why don't we focus on other areas? For example, it is said that ECG Mm. has over close to 30%, you know, commercial loss and technical losses. Why don't you focus on those ones and then try to minimize it? The negative effect is that if you make power so expensive, people are going to steal it the more. And mm-hmm. ECG is going to suffer because if ECG is unable to control the technical or commercial losses and people can steal the power, at the end of the day, ECG must pay for the power that has been produced. Yet... Okay you are not able to sell it and collect the money because people are stealing it. Mm. There's going to be power planning. People, If I'm going to sleep, I'll put off my fridge. Or if I used to have a, you know, air condition, mm-hmm. I'll switch it off. So at the end of the day, you, there's production, but there's not going to be consumption. If 52% of the power you produce is consumed in our household, and you want to make it expensive, yet people are stealing it, then there's a problem. I think that we need to hasten slowly. Mm. engage. We are not saying that don't charge VAT on electricity consumption. We can adopt what other countries are doing. We can reduce it. Maybe 5%. It's reasonable. Mm. 5% with the additional automatic tariff adjustment together will, you know, cushion Ghanaians. But the states where we find it now, 22% 
in addition to the automatic tariff adjustment will be too much and i think that's where labor is standing and they want to you know do everything possible to, okay. to to stop it now government is doing this because it needs money we are saying that i mean tax it, when we tax the people we are already already suffering and therefore government should, should hasten slowly in taxing us the more what other creative ways then can government use to raise revenue so that government is able to drive us out of where we are today to to the promised land if you look at the 2023 budget tax policies mm -hmm. most of them have been focusing on indirect taxes so the fear like my brother said is on the very very poor person indirect tax affects us and that's why we say it's regressive let's go back and refocus and rebalance the tax system the tax mix let's do more of the direct taxes we have ignored them and we are not looking at them because we believe that that does not bring us the money as quick as possible mm. but i think that we can't do everything within this short term we have to you know spread it and do things in the very medium to long term you want to increase your tax to gdp ratio from 13 percent to 18 percent that's a huge jump even the advanced countries they, they can't do that within that short term yes we agree that we need the minimum threshold of 15 percent for us to be on a developmental trajectory but within that short term you want to increase it from 13 to 18 to 20 percent that means that you're going to you know introduce so many taxes which may negatively impact the economic growth that you actually intended interesting and i'm grateful to you tomorrow for joining us here uh, with your thoughts this afternoon francis timori boy is a tax analyst now we still have with us uh, uh you know the vice president of Saint ghana so you had a tax analyst there what would be your your concluding remark to government if the president is watching you now what would you tell him yeah so as i indicated earlier i'll tell him that mr president you know that you actually have ghana at heart and that that is why possibly you are thinking about uh using the 5% or so on electricity to show up our revenue. And maybe what you thought to consider had to do with the fact that mm. it may rather depend the already worst situation of Ghanaians. Okay. And so what we are saying that with immediate effect, it's important to withdraw mm. that. Mm. And look at other uh, measures that we can use to raise revenue. I.e., we spoke about the need to at least bring back the road tools to give us some money that is not regressive remember uh uh the uh, my brother who just and then spoke about regressive. this mm. one that is more progressive we are saying that the excessive huge excessive tax exemptions that we grant to most of the multinationals mm. we need to look at it. and most of these ones fact, well they don't even need it but we grant it onto them as an economist i know that there's wisdom in tax exemptions but the way and manner that we grant tax exemption in the country is not what is, is the best practice, mm. so to speak. Mm. Uh, another has to do with the fact that we also need to look at the, the, the other side of the equation, and that is expenditure rationalization. Okay. Okay. We need mm. as much as possible try to cut mm. expenditure. We've said this several times. How mm. did we find government? Looking at that side, it's always about the, the, the revenue. Okay. We are not against generating revenue. We are in support of something like the COVID-19 levy 
to use that to prosecute to help with public health emergency fund. We are in support with most of the revenue mm. uh, measures that have come up, but we are not in support of this of fifteen percent but because okay. it is the ordinary Ghanaian that mm. is going to suffer. Uh, Kofi tells us that it's when it comes to the tax exemptions, the IMF, uh, I mean, brought that up, and, and therefore there's going to be a change in that, that they are, they are going to scrap some of the, these tax exemptions, right? I mean, from, from yeah. what we learned, that they are, going to, uh, they are going to take out some of the tax exemptions from some of these entities, and I'm sure yeah. it's going to fall in line with what uh, Doc is telling us. Doc, I'm grateful to you for joining us here. Kofi, just, just uh, before I leave, I leave you, I mean, you were able to point out yesterday how much the, the new tax will, will mean to, to the you know, consumers. Let's look at the impact of, of this VAT. So I'm really concerned because if you look at Ghana's demographics, um, about 20% of the country's population live in um, compound houses. Mm -hmm. And these compound houses, most of them share a common meter. Mm -hmm. So these people are vulnerable, but together they consume power that does not fall within the lifeline. So already they are paying more. Okay. So you find those people that we need to really target who live in kiosks because their structure is not well, you mm -hmm. know, structured. They cannot go for meter. They tap meter from other houses. So combined, they are consuming more than the 30 kilowatts hour per month. Mm -hmm. You get it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at all of these people, they are the ones who are now being asked to use the prepaid meters and they are paying. Mm. Most of the houses use one meter, they buy prepaid, let's say 50 CDs every three days or every week. Mm. And mm. these are the people we are asking to pay. These are the people who are also the vulnerable people. Okay. So yesterday we did the, the computation and how much you are likely to pay. So if you buy prepaid worth of, let's say, 50 CDs, mm. if the VAT is introduced, be ready to pay 60 CDs, 95 pesos. Mm. 50 to 60 cities, 95 pesos. Okay. If you consume 100 cities, be ready to pay 121 cities, 90 pesos. If you are, if you are spending 200 cities, be ready to pay 243 cities, 80 pesos. So it means around 44 cities. Absolutely. High, you know, addition Absolutely. to how much you, you Absolutely. Used to pay. Mm. 500 cities, be ready to pay 610 cities. And those in the bigger bracket, let's say 1,000 cities, be ready to pay 122. 1,200, you know, cities. Well, that's, that's actually so the implication. So what Francis said there in terms of people rationing the usage of mm -hmm. power may start coming in because if I put on my air condition when I'm sleeping, I may probably open the windows exactly. and then put the air condition the, off. The, the power that we consume also, mm. we, we produce, we must consume. Yeah. Remember that excess capacity alone costs Ghana every year okay. more than $500 million. Mm. So we need to let people use the, the lights. Well, well use it, excess capacity also go up. Uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting discussion. Now, we understand that the cabinet has directed that the finance minister meet, uh, suspend this and meet organized labor over. We don't know whether cabinet is about the total scrapping of this VAT, but it's an interesting development that we'll be keeping an eye on. And uh, trust journeys will bring that to you. This is still the pause here on this channel. We'll Welcome back from the break. Now, the Inspector General of Police, Dr. George Akufo-Dampa, is leading a high-powered police delegation to the East Regional Town of Kohu Bepon, where two residents have been killed following a clash with the police. More than 70 residents have been arrested, and now many are fleeing the town. My colleague Kofi Xiao is on the ground and joins us with more. Kofi, uh, grateful that you've been able to join us from, from where you are. Bring us up to speed with events in, in that community. Okay, so uh, Kojo, the 
community currently, as I speak, is very calm. Uh, the police are here. Mm. Officers can be spotted in vantage areas providing security. You could also see the police vehicles also patrolling the community in the Kwao South uh, municipality. As I speak with you, currently the Municipal Security Council, led by the Municipal Chief Executive, the Regional Minister himself, and the Re uh, Regional Police, the Kwao South, uh, regional, the Eastern, Eastern North, sorry, the Eastern North Regional Police uh, Commander, DCOP Isaac Atante, and the other security authorities are all here in a meeting at the Assembly Hall of the Kwao South Municipal Assembly, deliberating on the issues. So after the meeting, we are told they're going to engage the press and brief us on certain decisions they've taken. And as I speak with you, we have information that the Inspector General of Police, Dr. Jode Kufu Dampare, and his men are also on their way to this area to ascertain for themselves mm. what really is happening on the ground. Okay. Now, so you tell us that the security situation is, is, is quite calm, that the security is there. But what about the closure of schools? Okay, so uh, it's all part of the decisions they will be taking uh, in the meeting. So currently, I, we, we, we've all heard that the ban will be lifted uh, today, but that can only be confirmed after the meeting. So as we await for the meeting to conclude, uh, you know, we, we still have our, our fingers crossed. Mm. Uh, when they are done, I'm sure the regional minister and the municipal chief executive will be briefing us on what, what decisions they've been able to take with, with regard to the closure of schools in the municipality. Okay. Now, we also heard about, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that health officials were running away from the town. You have been there. What, what is the state of the health facilities in the, in the community? Well, that, that uh, information was also confirmed by the municipal chief executive uh, over here, and he said that uh, most of the people who were arrested, you know, in a video that went viral, the, the police uh, used that video to arrest most of the, to identify most of the, the perpetrators of, of the violence. But the residents say that the police started arresting people who were also not in the video. That is the claim they are making. We cannot independently state that. So the residents say, for fear of being arrested, you have to flee. Mm. No, no, so, 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 I mean, the health workers in the town, is the, is oh. the health facility there still closed? No, it is not closed, they are working. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Um, so, so, aside the health workers, you are saying that some members of the community are fleeing the community. Yeah, um, so, so that is what I said. Mm, because of what's happening. Now, yeah. uh, Kofi, I'm grateful to you. Meanwhile, Rexeg is working to return fleeing essential workers from the town head of a major security meeting on Thursday. Let's head now to Parliament, where Speaker of Parliament, Alban Bagbing, is lamenting the major casualties recorded in the MPP primaries. Uh, now, 28 certain MPP MPs lost their primaries, whilst up to 19 of the MPs announced their decisions not to re uh, return to the House, so they are retiring from Parliament.
uh, delivering his welcome address to MPs. Alban Bywin called on the nation to reflect on the huge investment made in these MPs who will be exiting the House. We woke up one Saturday and by the evening we had lost 28 MPs through the primaries of the new patriotic party. Earlier last year, we lost 17 MPs through the primaries of the NDC, National Democratic Congress. Honorable members, the primaries are part of the process for the electorate to determine who represents them in parliament. But the case of voluntary discontinuance of five and 19 followed by this selection of 17 and 28 is not a good signal for the legislature and for Ghana's democratic development. Experience, as we all know, counts in this house. But the endorsement of your party to contest is equally important. Honorable members, the hemorrhage and cost to the nation is, however, a matter of great concern worth considering by all stakeholders. And I want to appeal to political parties to take this matter up seriously because the investment that is made in an individual MP is so huge for the nation just to always go waste after every four years. Meanwhile, Deputy Minority Pamela Ibrahim is claiming the presidency schemed to oust a significant number of MP MPs who lost their re-election bid. The number that we're going to lose were 30. That was, that was the estimation from my calculation. If you remember, I told you that about 30 of them were not going to come back. That was our, the polls and the estimation. That we, you see, it was orchestrated. If you are MP, no matter how good you are, there are certain things when they are following you, you are going to lose. Assuming you are MP, how, 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 why, how, why couldn't Asibi stand? He was a chairman of the finance committee. But when the free zone CEO ran after him, he lost. And if you look at the number of CEOs and the number of GR, commissioner of GREs contesting, the one GRE who collect the money for them to pay you, he's contesting you. <laughs> how, how can you contest? And if you check CEOs, presidential advisors, government spokespersons, head of institutions, head of GRE, then controller and accountant general. This way people run after you so clearly, you should know that this one is going to come, this one is not going to come. You don't need a rocket scientist to tell you. You look at even advisor, Miracle Abuaji, government spokesperson, presidential spokesperson, governors, campaigning, sending a candidate and president, the president says when he comes, he's going to give this man a minister. And you know your the current MP is the chairman for agri committee. He's not a minister. So how can chairman, chairman win? And if the presidential advice cuts come and say that the president says he will give this one a minister, who would the people listen to? So you could see that the flat staff house was after them. Mm -hmm. And we knew 
Once the big house is after you, there's no way you are going to contest. You are going to make it. So clearly, people like even sticker of all people. They say this is the rule, but as the first sticker, we are going to realize the rule. What wrong has he done? So clearly, you could see that the system was ready to act some of the people out. And I'm not surprised. The number, our estimation, it was 30. Is that Parliament will suffer given the defeat of some MPs as well as the decision by others to retire. And 19 voluntarily said they were not going to go. So about 47. And clearly we are going to be affected by, by the 47. Well, many of them are chairman of committees. Not just chairman of committees. I've been here for 15 years. With these new standing orders, I'm going to be taken through orientation. So it's parliamentary practice and procedure. If you don't practice it, you can't do it. Practice makes a man perfect. It's like going to sit in the class and they are teaching you mathematics or accounting and you are reading with your eyes. In the day of exams, your pen cannot move. <laughs> As you are reading, your hand must be calculating. The day of exams, you'll be able to calculate. That's how parliament works. So parliament, when they come and they come and read the standing orders, it doesn't work like that. When we are on the floor, and KMS and Afenyo Markin are sitting on the front bench. Who, is, who can tell you the difference between a lawyer and a non-lawyer? You can't, no, you can't say that majority leader is not a lawyer. He has been here for 28 years and he has read the constitution uh, over and over. And the West, he has found the not interpretation, the constitutional interpretation, he's been to Westminster, he's been to IPU, he's been to Commonwealth Parliament, everywhere. He has gotten other comparative analysis from different parliaments. So when he's on his feet, you can't differentiate between and say he's not a lawyer. He has practiced it. So technically, we are going, the house is negatively going to be impacted. How can you lose your wife in this house? You may not like him. But when it comes to commitment and dedication and working with ethics and values, you could see that the man is on top. He sits from morning to night in appointment committee. The night after everybody is gone, he go and sit in his office writing a report. The following day, he must produce a report. And he will bring the report. You can see that this man is dozing. And he will still go and continue with the decision. These are the people we are going to lose. And you say, it is not going to have impact. <laughs> Who, then unless you are able to prove to me that the exit of Baba Yara and Arabi has not affected blasters. <laughs> it has. Well, still in Parliament, the minority in Parliament are vowing to fight the EC every step of the way if it pushes through its plans to ditch the indelible ink for the 2024 election. The minority and their mother party, the NDC, say the decision will be a recipe for chaos. Minority leader Dr. Casey Alato Forsen says his side and other well-meaning Ghanaians will not allow the EC to plunge the nation into chaos. Let's make an announcement by the Electoral Commission that it is doing away with indelible ink from the electoral process must be of great concern to all of us in this chamber. Right Honorable Speaker, this announcement by the Electoral Commission constitutes an attack on the integrity of Ghana's electoral process and poses a great danger to our democracy. This Electoral Commission enjoys taking unwholesome decisions, being disruptive, fancies courting public disaffection and enjoys being roundly condemned by right-thinking Ghanaians. The use of indelible ink in our electoral process does no harm to the conduct of free and fair elections in the Republic of Ghana. In fact, 
indelible inks add another layer to the integrity of the elections by ensuring that voters are visibly, transparently, and physically verified in, the addi in addition to the biometric verification system. Indelible ink has not only become a feature of our elections in the Fourth Republic, but is also a time-tested method of easily identifying persons who have already cast their ballot and therefore helps to easily prevent multiple voting. It also helps in building confidence in the conduct of elections and add to the credibility and integrity of our elections. The fact that biometric verification devices is part of the electoral process is not good enough reason for the Electoral Commission to do away with the indelible ink. This is because, Mr. Speaker, when the biometric verification device fails, indelible ink on the voter's finger provides the surest way to identify a person who has already voted. Mr. Speaker, we will not countenance the elimination of the indelible ink from the electoral process. We will not. And let the Electoral Commission read our lips. We will not. Mr. Speaker, touch wood. We will not allow the electoral process to be done without the electoral, without the indelible ink. Well, Dr. Casey Latterforsen also says they are opposed to proposed change in the election date from December 7 to November. The general elections on the horizon. The Electoral Commission and those behind it has announced their intention to change the date of this general election from December to November. Let me say it here and now that the NDC Minority Caucus in Parliament will not support any change at this time. We will not support the change of the date from December to November for elections. This is because there are more pertinent and pressing issues that require the immediate attention of the Electoral Commission than a change of date for the general election. As I speak, Mr. Speaker, the Electoral Commission is yet to release the calendar for the 2024 election. The EC must focus on its, all its energy and attention on the provision of the 2024 election calendar than a change of date. Mr. Speaker, if the Electoral Commission decides to embark on a comprehensive and a meaningful reforms after the 2024 elections, in consultation with political parties and other faith-based organizations, Mr. Speaker, we, the NDC minority in Parliament, may reconsider our position. But in the meantime, Mr. Speaker, we stand opposed to the change of the date for elections and all reforms that has been proposed by the Electoral Commission. For now, we will not support the Electoral Commission's decision to change the date for the 2024 general elections. But in a very rare show of bipartisanship, the Majority Leader of Sir Chairman Sabonso also urged the EC to backtrack on the decision to ditch the Endeavour Inc. We are signaling not to use Endeavour Inc. in the next elections. Mr. Speaker, I raised the matter after the conduct of the disassembly elections. And I agree with my colleague that they may have to revisit the matter. In particular because the database of the Electoral Commission, as far as some of us do know, don't talk to one another. The database for the regions talk to themselves. So you cannot vote in, let's say, Swami, and then run to Offensive North to vote. 
you'll be caught because there is synchronized but they don't go beyond the regions so it is possible one person to vote in Accra and dash to Bonnie to cast his or her vote <laughs> so Mr. Speaker to that extent to the extent that the database is not talking to in the various regions are not talking to themselves it's important that we, we further guarantee any abuse, preventing any abuse of the system by resorting to the use of indelible ink. Um, in the course of the MPP elections, the indelible ink was applied. What, however, I saw was that the ink that was applied was not fast enough. You could easily rub it. So we are appealing to the Electoral Commission to reintroduce it and also ensure that the ink that they apply is very fast. So let's uh, move away from Parliament and talk about something of interest to all of us now, female genital mutilation. FGM uh, continues to be practiced in Ghana in this day and age, you know, in the shadows of the great progress made on women's empowerment and gender consciousness. And despite the criminalization of the practice in the country since 1994, question is why is this still a problem in the country? Let's share with you uh, what we do know of all of that now. Uh, female genital mutilation, mutilation, which is FGM, comprises all procedures that involve partial or total removal of the external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organ uh, for non-medical reasons. Now, what we also do know about FGM is that the practice has no health benefit for girls and women and cause severe bleeding and problems uh, during urination. Now, FGM is mostly carried out on young girls between infancy and age of 15. And usually they, they, they used to cite cultural uh, reasons for that. Now, more than 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone FGM in 30 countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. Now, that, this is staggering. We also do know that 2.4% of women aged 15 and, and 49 in Ghana in 2021 practiced FGM. That's staggering, yeah? Listen, 2.4% of women uh, uh, aged between 15 and 49 in Ghana, this country, in 2021 practiced FGM. That, well, let's share with you much more of what we do know. Now, in 2021, 32.5% of all FGM in Ghana practiced was from the Upper West region and 13.2% was from the Upper East region. So that, that, that's, that is it for you. Now, FGM among children aged 0 to 14 in Ghana in 2021 was 0.1%. Why is this still being done? You can't even understand why. But that is the reality. That in 2021, just some three years ago, 0.1% of young babies, I mean, so girls between 0 to 14, you know, had to undergo the, the female genital mutilation. I mean, uh, quite uh, some scary statistics there. But interesting for all of us today, we do have someone who has gone through this 
treatment, I mean, this practice, the FGM, she's a survivor and has now grown into an activist who is preaching against this because she's, she has gone through it herself. Uh, Ibrahima uh, Kurima, is that it? Kurima. Kurima, okay, good, good. How are you? I'm okay, where are you? I'm, I'm good. I, I see that you are sad. I, because I learned this in social studies long ago, it was over 25 years, yeah. and I thought this practice would not be there, but to hear that in 2021, we, the 0 we, we, 0.1, I think it's not even the right figure, oh, them, because it's more than that. Oh. Those who take the case out of Ghana to go and do it and even come back is more than that. Oh. Those who go into hiding to do it is still more than that. So the 0 0.1, I think, so, mm -hmm. so that, that's, that's even the reported one. That's the reported one. It's more so, than that. Oh, wow. We have people who go into that just to throw it. They will not come out to speak. What about those people? Have they been able to get their figures out? No. So I think it's more than 0 0.1 left to me alone. What, what reason do they give, you know, to do that? I, 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 I quite remember they told us something in school, but, but you, you have gone through it practically. So tell us. Actually, you can see that Upper West is leading with 32 percent. I'm mm -hmm. from Upper West. Oh, okay. When you say that they still practice FGM, people will be telling you that it's an old practice, whatever. But it's still happening. But with the reasons that they give us, to me, I don't even want to be mentioning it when they talk of culture. Culture has nothing to do with this, but it's rather torture. And when it comes to um, religion, Christianity speaks against it, Islam speaks against it, the tradition itself speaks against it. So which of the religions are they talking about? Mm. And mm. they will tell you that they want to make the woman like to be clean. You end up abusing us, cutting the most precious part of a woman. Mm. Something that makes you a woman. Mm. Something they can stand on and define you as a woman. That's what it takes from you. They abuse us. I, they took mine when I, just a week old. When I can barely say that, look, cut me or not. Mm. I didn't choose this knife. Mm. And they decided to let this knife choose me. And I'm still going through it. At least I'm going through it. And still, young girls will still go through it. I mean, when, when they say mutilation, you are saying that they cut us. What do they cut really? The clitoris. They mute it. So they cut it from there? They cut it from there. We have like four types of... Um, genital mutilation when it comes to the practice. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to Ghana here, um, we are lucky because they practice the first one on us. With that of the first one, they just take the tip of the clitoris, mm -hmm. leaving it hanging. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's dead. It doesn't function. But when it comes to the second time, they take the whole clitoris out. Mm -hmm. You realize they said partially removed or totally removed. That mm -hmm. is when the total removed thing comes in. They take the whole clitoris, letting a whole just there. Sure. You see nothing but a hole. That's when you are lucky. The third one, they take the whole clitoris out. So then, I don't know if I can mention this, where they clean the lips of your vagina as well. You know, most ladies, they have the lips of the vagina hangs there like a snail pen. Mm. They clear it off. And the fourth one, they clear it off, cut it and stitch. The and stitch? The stitch. Normally, it's been done in Sierra Leone and the rest. In Ghana here, mostly they practice the first one. Oh, this is cruel. I mean, cruelty there. And, and you, they did it on you when you were a week old. When I was a week old, I didn't get to know until I got to secondary school. I was a happy kid growing. 
If I go to secondary school, we in a washroom, I realize those from the south, yeah, like their vagina are somehow different from, from mine. Then I'm the type I like asking questions. I ask few of them why they should look different from ours. Mm. And they said south they that's how theirs look and north this is how ours. So I wanted to find out why God created us different. Mm. So I decided to ask one of my masters that I was so close with. He told me that they practice FGM on me. On you. That's when I got to know that they abused me. Mm. So when you found out, what did you do? And I was full of anger. I wish I could grab the one who took this thing away from me. Mm. Um, on the second thought, I realized it's not the person who came, like who just cut it off, but my parents gave me out mm. for them to practice it on me. So I decided to go and ask my mom because I'm so close with it. And she said, this thing has been there. They did it on her mom, they did it on her, they did it on me, they did it on my senior sisters and all that. And still, they are doing it. So it's something, it's their culture. And you know, culture is like fate. Once mm. they hold on to it, it's hard to let them back off from it. So he said I should keep quiet if I want to leave. But at that time, they were still taking care of me. I decided to complete SS, mm. went to university before I started speaking against it. Mm. So, so, why has it not been stopped in this day and age? In the, you, you spoke about the fact that courts are when people hold on to it. Yeah. But we know the, numbers, the number is dwindling in terms of those who are doing it. But why is, do we still have it, I mean, in this country, just in 2021? And I'm sure people are even doing it today. As That's the issue. As we speak now, like us, now we should be talking about zero tolerance, but mm. you can see still the figures are still coming mm. and all that. I think that our leaders are not playing a good role, especially the gender ministry. They are okay. sleeping. They are really sleeping when it comes to female genital mutilation. Because they feel like, okay, I haven't gone through it. My sister haven't gone through it. Any of us, like none of my family members has gone through it. So why should I push my... But my dear... The survivors out there, we are really dying. Why? Welcome to childbirth. I'm a mother of three. Okay. Because of this FGM, I'm a young lady. I have the strength. I was supposed to push. I couldn't push my babies out. I have to go under knife again. Very good times before my kids could come out. Oh. Yeah. So when they perform the FGM on you, you they cannot give birth naturally? The possibility of you not being able to push out is high. We are losing our marriages. Because Why? you can't satisfy your husband. You can't satisfy your partner. You are more than a wood. Because oh. you don't reach your orgasm. Oh. Yeah. That, that should be hard then. Sure. Mm. And what about the infection? A whole lot. The trauma you go through. Mm. They that, look, I'm a woman, but I'm not a complete woman. Mm. There are things my colleagues, women, can't do to satisfy their husbands, but I can't do it. How do you take this? <sighs> wow. Yeah. So, so it, it makes you sort of incomplete as, as a woman. And, and so sometimes when you say, what do come to mind to you? I mean, when you are there, you know this is your problem. How does it come to you? It's not easy. It's not easy, but 
Do you know there is a solution to all this? No. Do you know they can reconstruct the critteries? Oh. Burkina Faso has a hospital that reconstructs their critteries. So that's why I'm saying that Ghana, the gender ministry, they are really sleeping on this. That was 2015. I was all over asking for a hospital for them to reconstruct our critteries for us. Mm. And nobody seems to care about it. So, so if you say they have failed, what do you expect them to do? They should get us a hospital, doctors, to reconstruct these critteristics for us. Mm. At least we need counselors. Most ladies, those that can't come out to speak, my dear, they are dying in their marriages. Mm. I can come out to speak. I can share my story with you. Mm. At least there will be some kind of relief in me. Mm. There are others that are dying with the pains of this abuse thing, with the pains of not being able to satisfy their husbands, with the pains of not being able to push. I, maybe I would have wanted to have, have kids more than three. Mm. I mean, I'll be limited, maybe four or five. Mm. I may not now. So if I'm able to reach the number I want, my husband may be forced to have another wife. Mm. Do you get what yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to I say? Do, I do. I, I, I'm really w w in sync with you. Sure. So the gender ministry really needs to stand on its feet, especially the current gender ministry. Minister, right? Mm. Um, Zue, Honorable Zuera, you mm. are not not sweetheart. You know what we go through. You are a woman. You, you need to understand me. You need to understand our sister is there. Don't wait for someone else to come and tell you your work. No. It's high time we stop. Let's stop this. Next year by this time, we should be celebrating zero tolerance of female genital mutilation. Not to be in tears anymore. Not to be regretting. At least next year by this time, I need my colleagues, victims, to support me. To say, look, I've been able to repair my clitoris. And not to be running from the public. Please. Mm -hmm. Mm. This is quite interesting. So that, that's, that's for the, I mean, to help you. Yes, please. What about, I mean, the young girls who have not gone through it, who maybe, if nothing is done, could become victims like yourself? What should the minister, ministry do? Ghana here, after one week, if they don't perform it, they, they don't perform it on you, they will not perform it on you. Oh, okay. It's done week after your birth. It's other countries that the data said it was between. It's other countries that they do that. Okay. But when it comes to Ghana, it's being performed a week, a week after. Oh. Okay. When the babies don't have any right to choose. That is it. So what should they do? I think we still need to push more. I can't do this alone. I need backing. No, I, I mean, what do you expect the ministry to do to help That is what I'm though? saying. I need them to support me. Okay. I need them to have a group, to have a, um, or more like say, a foundation that will be pushing. There are times I become scared myself mm. because I'm a single person fighting this and I'm fighting my own people. Mm. So once we, are in, we join hands and we push harder, I think they'll stop. They can't just stop within a year or two, but... Wow. Yes, I mean, the, the way you painted it, 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 it should be scary. But once these are babies, they don't even know what's happening to them unless they grow up and something should happen, but nothing is being, is being done. What about our traditional leaders in that part of Because I'm sure in the south it, it doesn't happen. It happens in, you know, in the northern part. What should the leaders there do, traditional leaders especially? Um, let me correct that. Okay. 
Five years they practice it. Okay. 2014, 2015, there was an incident at um, is it Okay. Yeah. They did it. They did it. Oh. They did it. They, most people do it, but just I like, not get to hear. But okay. because they branded like it's only enough that they practice okay. it. So what should our leaders do? It all boils down to education. We need to push and push harder. The traditional leaders, it's not like they don't know what they are doing is wrong, but they are still holding on to that faith they call culture. So we need to push and push harder. Look, I, I, I feel your pain, and I pray that something will happen, especially the, the hospital, sure. so that you can reconstruct it and enjoy the marriage the way you want to enjoy yeah. it. Because you're a woman, you should feel like a woman sure. like that. And I pray that when it comes to helping the young ones also, the ministry is able to prevent the, you know, the further practice of this, 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 this yeah. thing. I thank you for sharing this story with us, okay? Uh, it shall be well, yeah? Now, I guess your husband understands you already, the way you are. You understand, but then, hmm, it's not easy. Okay. When you know that, look, I have such a beautiful lady that can satisfy me. Hmm. It's not easy. Hmm. But he's understanding in a way. Okay. Thank you for sharing your story with us. This is still the pulse on a journey. Channel. Now, um, the Ghana National Chamber of Pharmacy, together with the Pharmaceutical Importers and Wholesalers Association of Ghana, are agitating over a proposed e, um, you know, uh, you know, a proposed um, restriction in the importation of some 142 pharmaceutical products by the Ministry of Health. Now, the two bodies have expressed concern that such imposition of restriction will inevitably result in drug shortages and surge in drug prices. There's more in the following report. The Chamber explains that the Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association initially submitted a list of 116 products to the Ministry of Health. The Food and Drugs Authority subsequently advised the Ministry on the restriction and recommended only 38 pharmaceutical products for the import ban, citing the unavailability of special laboratories and the capacity of local manufacturers. This list has since been expanded to 142 products without any engagement with major stakeholders. President of the Pharmaceutical Importers and Wholesalers Association, Dr. William Addo, strongly asserts that the Ministry of Health input ban on 116 pharmaceutical products will have severe repercussions on the health sector. He warns of a looming drug shortage, emphasizing the adverse effects this restriction could have on public health should the restriction be implemented. Somewhere in 2016, S12 EI181, the importation of about 49 products were restricted for the sole manufacture of local companies. Then about two, three years ago, the local manufacturers applied to Ministry of Health for further additions to the list without any review of the previous 49 products. We asked for the data and no data was provided on that. Whether they did well or not, on the first 49, there was no data on that. This time, they proposed 116 
products to be restricted. After going through the list thoroughly by Food and Drugs Administration, Food and Drugs Authority of Ghana, unless I forget, Food and Drugs Authority of Ghana is amongst one of the best pharmaceutical and food regulatory agencies in Ghana. In fact, our FDA Ghana is a WHO GBT. It's a global classification, level three, very, very high. Recommended, recommended the ban of only 38 products. However, as we speak, the proposed EI draft by the MOH seeks to ban 142 products based on which data? No data. The dangers ahead is going to affect you, it's going to affect me, because it can lead to drug shortages, hike in prices, drug security, and it can even collapse our national health insurance because the drug bill is going to shoot up. The Chamber and the Pharmaceutical Importers and Wholesalers Association are calling for a comprehensive review of the import policy to prevent potential disruptions in the availability of essential medications. The finalization of the EI in its current form be suspended immediately for a broader engagement with key stakeholders like parliamentarians, policymakers, service providers, manufacturers, regulators, importers, research centers, practitioners, and Ghanaians for their perspectives and inputs. We are also calling on the minister to adjust the timelines for the restriction of the various classes of the products to make room for critical national interventions prior to their implementation. These include, firstly, the establishment and operation of the functional system for data collection and analysis on the capacity of local manufacturers to meet national needs of medicines restricted under EI-181. Secondly, the establishment of effective support infrastructure like contract manufacturing plants in at least three locations in Ghana to significantly reduce the existing barriers to local manufacture. The immediate, we also call it the minister, for the immediate restriction should be, for the immediate restriction should only be on the 38 pharmaceutical products recommended by FDA as they are backed by the necessary regulatory support. Well, joining us for more on this is lawyer Nelson Oswansa, who's consultant, researcher, health policy analyst. He doesn't believe the policy will benefit the country in the long run. Why do you think, uh, well, I'm grateful to you for joining us here, lawyer. Why do you think that uh, this sort of policy will not be in the interest of the country in the long term? Thank you very much for the opportunity and mm. good afternoon to yourself, your um, um, viewers out there. Now, as you have rightly indicated, we are very much opposed as the Ghana Chamber of Pharmacy and also the Pharmaceutical Importers and Wholesalers Association um, on the grounds that, you know, generally we would have been all happy 
to support the government to actually improve upon is basically trying to restrict medications from 49 products up to 142 mm. products. Okay. Now, one would ask, what kind of data does the Ministry of Health have? What kind of analysis have they done to ensure that these 142 products, which are currently being served by over 300 importers, if you restrict it to only just one or two, or some of these drugs are highly emergency drugs, such that it would be very, 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 very unfortunate if, for example, you are you find yourself in an emergency situation in a theater and you need certain anesthetic drugs. And the one single um, producer tells you that I am unable to deliver. What does it mean? It mm. means the lives of the poor patients, the lives of you and I, the ordinary Ghanaian, we are the people who are going to suffer. So what we are saying is that the Ministry of Health should, with immediate effect, suspend, should immediate effect, suspend the implementation of this um, EI and allow for broader consultations with all the major stakeholders. Mm. Well, well, but 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 we also do know that we also do know that there are some companies that are into the manufacturing of of, of drugs here. Um, don't you have the capacity to to be able to then you know produce or manufacture these drugs that the EI intends to suspend their importation? Now, per the Ministry of Health's own um, report about some of these drugs that uh, these um, um, uh, manufacturers mm. were supposed to have supplied the Ministry of Health only, they are, the reports indicate that some of them were not even able to supply just the Ministry of Health. Mm. Okay, now this EI seeks to restrict these medications in terms of import on the entire country. Mm. So the question is, if you are unable to supply Ministry of Health framework policy, some of these drugs, because of A, B, or C reasons, how do we believe that you would be in a capacity to be able to supply the whole country, especially so when these drugs are provided by 300 importers mm. and you seek to restrict it to just about one or two and it's not just a single drug. We are putting up 142 drugs. Some of them include antihypertensives. Some of them include antidiabetics. And these drugs are key to the lives and sustainability mm. of people who have hypertension, diabetes, and so on and so forth. Well, well I, I, I guess, I guess, I mean, from what you're telling us, it's about capacity of the local producers <laughs> yes. to produce. Yes. So yes. why aren't we campaigning or advocating for the development of local capacity for us to meet you know uh, that 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 deficit that an, 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 a restriction will bring so that we can keep all these monies that are used in importation we are, in, in the country. Mm -hmm. we are all for increasing 
the local capacity. Nobody is against it. And get this right. In fact, the um, introductory um, comments as far as our write-up uh, uh, press release is concerned clearly indicated that we are not against the government's broad objective of boosting local manufacturing. The question to ask here is that at this stage, and given the capacity of the local manufacturers, will they be able, within this short period of time, to meet up to the national demands? The answer is clearly a no. Beyond that, all countries who want to boost national uh, production and all that, what they do is that they put in policies that would rather lower the entry, the barrier entry, so mm. that you have a lot more indigenous mm. companies. Mm. <laughs> producing the same thing, prices are forced to go down. Here mm. we have it in a different way. You have just about one or two uh, companies who are being sought to um, basically do the production. What is going to happen? We are going to create a monopoly. And when you create a monopoly, prices go up. Mm. And when prices go up, you know, people may not be able to afford it. Some of these things are very, 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 very um, um, life-saving. Okay. And mm. there would be shortages. Okay. If we are not careful, there will be shortages of drugs, and people will not be able to um, get the drugs, even if you have the money to buy it. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So you want government to probably stagger the, the implementation of such an AI, or what exactly do you want? Exactly. We want the government to to pull the brakes, basically. We want the government to consult broadly on the scope of the EI, the drugs that these EIs um, um, seeks to cover, as well as the timelines for the implementation. For mm. some of them, it is with immediate effects. Mm. Okay. And those ones, mm. they, are not, they are not just about two items. We are talking about a, 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 a good number of mm. molecules. Okay. What capacity do we have to give mm. tomorrow? Okay. The minister finds it and it is gazetted. It becomes law. Okay. All and right. Company, the capacity. All right. Lawyer, I'm, I'm grateful to you for joining us here. And we, we wish that, uh, you know, government will listen and the right things will be done. Grateful to you for joining us. Now, away from that, tomorrow there will be a gathering of Ghana's religious, political, and traditional leaders as they prepare the ground for a peaceful election. Later this year, the forum dubbed the Bible, the guide for peace, unity, and development is being organized by the Bible Society of Ghana. As part of its 2024 Bible Week celebrations, chairman of the National Peace Council will headline the forum tomorrow. We're pleased uh, to be joined now via Zoom by Reverend Dr. John Kwesi Ado Jr., who is General Secretary of the Bible Society of Ghana, as we look ahead to that event tomorrow. Doc, grateful for joining us here. So, yes, we understand that it's all geared towards having a peaceful election later this year, but what is that, that, that theme that we're all looking forward to, that, that goal uh, for tomorrow? Thank you. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. And thank you to your viewers. Uh, we really relish this opportunity to engage the public on mm. this important symposium. Mm. Uh, it's a symposium being organized as part of our Bible Week. And as you said, the, the aim is to bring consciousness to the necessity of peace and unity mm. in our country. We are all aware that as a nation, we'll be going to the popes. And we know how much that has the potential to divide our front. 
uh, as a people, when united, we can do the unthinkable, the unimaginable. Uh, reading Genesis chapter 11, you realize that a united force, a united people could put up the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, irrespective of what we are doing as a people, unity and peace must be. And for us, the Bible is the foundation for this. True peace comes for the heart, from the heart. And so such a conversation, bringing the religious leaders, political parties and activists, electoral commission, um, public institutions, as well as traditional leaders, all together under the same umbrella, to discuss the important subject of the Bible being a guide to peace, unity, and development, we believe will help all of us to position ourselves in a way that we'll go and do this election, we'll live in this country, and have a peaceful election, even before and after, and there will not be any issue at all. That is what we seek, and that is the awareness we seek to create out of this symposium. Mm. All right. And uh, so, so I wanted to understand that the people will be speaking, that what, what are these you know, teams that they will be speaking on to ensure that you arrive at attaining the objective with which we are having this forum? Sure. Yes, um, we have well-versed, well-prepared servants of God to mm-hmm. come and lead this discussion on the other symposium. We have two of them. Speaking will be Reverend Dr. Femi B. Adi Delay, who is the director for the Institute of Christian Impact. Uh, he will be talking on the Bible, Guide for Peace, Unity, and Development. It happens to be the theme for the Bible Week. Okay. And also speaking will be the Reverend Equia Ofuribuaten of the Anglican Church, the program director, and also electoral commissioner. Uh, she will be there to speak on the topic, the essence of peace and unity for national development. Mm. And great men and women will be there okay. for us to discuss this. Okay. Um, Doc, we wish you all the best, and, and I, I pray that something good will come out of this forum for us going Definitely. forward. To I, I hope to see yourself there and your team to be part. We, are, we all have a common mm. stake in Ghana, and we all must make this country work. Mm. Peace and unity is what we need. Thank of course. Uh, thank you so much. This is the only country that we have when, well, you know, uh, this uh, continent was, be, was being shared. This is what we got. So let us all support the development of this country. On that note, I'm grateful to you for staying with us here on The Pulse uh, today. There's more on myjoyonline.com. My name is Samuel Kojo Brace, and I will leave you with this. <laughs>